The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you're absolutely in the right place. I can guarantee it. Today's buzz, selling and seasons. What do they have to do with each other? Let me get started. Tis the time of year for traditional seasonal hiring, especially, you know what I'm going to say next, in the retail industry. Uh Uh-huh. Expecting those throngs, those crowds with their wallets. The retailers want to make sure everybody gets to a cash register before they change their mind. I know, I know. Well, it sounds like a great way to boost the economy, but actually there's a lot more to it than just filling temporary jobs at this season of the year. Let's look at the numbers. 82% of retailers say they're increasingly hiring contingent intermittent and consultant workers. Now put that all together. Remember, contingent workers, intermittent workers, and consultant workers. But these retailers are smart enough to know they need to find ways to better engage and understand what we're calling the part-time workforce. Why? Because you have to ensure even if they're there for a week, a month, three months, they have to still deliver great service. They have to know the products. They have to know where everything is. They can't say, duh, I'm just here for three weeks. I don't know anything. That's not going to help anybody. The customer today expects an overall excellent shopping experience, especially if they bother to go to brick and mortar. We know how that's going. And they expect it regardless of the season. So the question on the table today is, how are the successful retailers achieving this? Can their best practices help non-retailers? Wouldn't that be a wonderful thing? I have a panel of experts prepared to talk today. And by the way, our topic is, tis the season for retailers. No, I'm not going to sing. Managing a contingent work. Workforce. There you go. First up on the panel is a returning guest. Always glad to have him on board. It's Brian Kilcourse, Managing Partner at Retail Systems Research, also known as RSR Research. And here's the quote from Brian in his own words. Brian says, In the age of the omni-channel shopper, consumers expect retail employees to be at least as well-informed about products and services as they, the consumers, are. Brian Kilcourse, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing really great, Bonnie. How are you? Wonderful. Thanks for joining me. So talk to me. Interesting. Omnichannel shopper is what comes to mind as the key phrase here. So why don't you take us through this? Well, there's something happening in the world right now, which is really unique uh, in our history. And that's that today the consumer carries the store around with her in her purse or pocket. 
And mm. uh, that has changed the nature of the dialogue between the retailer and the consumer. Nowadays, the consumer oftentimes has more power in their hand than the entire store has in terms of information and technology. And this is creating huge challenges for retailers because consumers now expect to be served. And, um, and we're moving through a time when retailers are trying to get away from uh, a self-service model without exploding their labor costs. Okay, so what do you think about this contingent workforce? My comments in the opening, Brian, how important is it that that employee, whether they got there yesterday or they're coming in next week and they're just there to observe, whether they're going to be there for 10 days during Christmas or three weeks over the Easter holiday, I don't know. How important is it that person really gets, it really conveys the brand and the proper etiquette of that store culture? How important is it, good, bad, or ugly? Well, it's important, um, but let's let's look at labor from this perspective. There's two types of labor that are required in the store. There's one to maintain the store, to maintain the merchandise and keep the stuff flowing from the back uh, dock into the sales floor. And then there's another group of uh, labor people who are, are, are essentially sales associates. And uh, whether you use contingent labor on the, as sales associates or mm-hmm. to do the merchandising, they have to be informed about their tasks. Okay, well, we need an informed workforce regardless. You're right, in front or in back. Thank you so much. Let's join you with our second panelist. It's Mukesh Nakra, a newcomer to SAP Radio. He's an Associate VP, Program Director of Retail, CPG, Logistics, and Life Sciences. Wow, at Infosys. And here is a quote from Mukesh via Vince Lombardi, or I should say Vince Lombardi via Mukesh. An interesting quote. The achievements of an organization are the results of the combined efforts of each individual. Mukesh Nakra, welcome. How are you today? I am doing fantastic, Bonnie. Thank you for having me on the show. Delighted. So talk to me. We haven't had a Vince Lombardi quote in a while. How did you pick this, and how does it relate to our topic? Well, see, it is is football season. Um, I am a great Packers fan. And uh, if you see, this is one franchisee which stands very different in terms of they are building a dynasty, right? If you compare uh, a football team to any organization, the, the reason a company is successful if all the employees of the company are able to carry the brand of that franchise, are able to represent the organization, able to meet the vision of what that organization stands for. And exactly as, as Brian said earlier, there are, there are two types of people. At the back end, in the warehouse, in the distribution centers, there's, there's more and more of automation coming. Whereas at the front end, which is the sales associate, mm-hmm. the expectation from every consumer when I walk into a store is that when, you know, I, I should get the best of the service. The, the person should represent what that company is trying to sell to me, whether it is, it is a retail company or even a non-retail company. Okay. Let's talk about the mindset of these employees. Let, let's just go into the back room a little bit, what Brian said and what you just mentioned, Mukesh. Uh, how do you motivate these people? Just I want a little overview before we, we're going to go into our roundtable after the first break, but a little overview. How do you get these people to take it seriously? Let's say it's a college kid, home for the holidays. Before he or she comes home, they say, hey, I know this store down the block or in the mall. They're always looking for uh, people to move inventory out to the front. They're expecting a boom at Christmas season. And I want to be that person. But you know what? I really need to go home and study. I really want to go out and party with my friends. I'll go there. I'll collect a paycheck for a couple weeks, extra cash. So how do you motivate that person, Mukesh? 
So, see, the, the motivation factor is when an, an employee, anybody who's even doing a, a job part-time, has continuously seeing that he is learning something new, he or she. There, is, there has to be a learnability. The company has to spend a lot of time in enhancing their skills and making them knowledgeable. Uh, if they look at this as a very short time, uh, a short gap arrangement, saying, okay, I will go do my job and be out from there, uh, the, the focus of the company and the employee continues to remain only that, okay, I need to spend the time and get the job done. Mm -hmm. It is not about building a career over there. And that's, that's what successful companies need to focus on. Thank you very much. We're going to get into that a lot more after the break, as I said. And let's bring on our third panelist, also a returning guest, and we're always happy to have him on. It's David Swanson, Executive Vice President, Human Resources, SAP. And David has brought me a wonderful quote from Stephen R. Covey, C-O-V-E-Y, and here's the quote. Always treat your employees exactly as you want them to treat your best customers. I like that. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world if it were true? <laughs> David Swanson, welcome. How are you today? I'm great, Bonnie. Thanks. Thanks I for joining it, me. Go ahead. This topic is just is extremely relevant when you think of the contingent workforce and you think about uh, you know the, the, the season where we have people coming into stores, they're short on time, they have 20 things on their mind, they're, you know, probably couldn't find a parking place anywhere near, and if they're where I am, they had to walk through the snow to get to the building. And the last thing they want to do is come in and, and come in and have a, uh, an employee within the, the retail establishment either not know the merchandise, not be able to answer basic questions, or to not provide a level of service. And I think it really begins, and we've talked a little bit about it already, Brian touched on it, as did Mukesh, it really begins on how we train people. We can bring people in and say, okay, your job is to stock shelves, your job is to work a cash register and just let them figure it out on their own. Or we can take the time to really help them build the basic skills with the thought that everything they do should be with the customer first. And I think regardless of what generation people are in, coming into the workforce, I think people want to be able to serve others and want to do it in a way that, that uh, delights the customer. And so if you take the time and invest that time up front, even in people that you may only have for a couple of weeks, it can go a long way towards them providing that same level of care and attention to your best customers. All it takes is one bad interaction, and you may mm -hmm. have lost that best customer for life. Absolutely. So there is a, a do or die. There's a long-term element and a very bad downside if you don't get those employees to buy in and treat them. Treat them. You treat them well. You give them something meaningful for them as employees, and they pass that along to customers. This is a, a tough thing, especially at the holidays. I have been – I remember a, a, a time I think I was in a, a big – big retailer, uh, starts with M and ends with an apostrophe S with a couple of letters in between, searching for something for a gift last year. And I went from, from it was in the men's sportswear department, I went from rack to rack to rack, and I was asking, where do you have this kind of shirt? Where do you have this kind of shirt? And all I got, David, from the, the people on the floor were, oh, I'm just here for a week or two. I really don't know. Let me ask somebody. And then they'd come back and say, go over there and talk to Mary. And i go over to Mary and she'd say, well, I'm not really sure. I think it's in the next apartment. I'll walk you over. Well, thank you, Mary. We enjoyed the walk together, walking and talking. I, n I never found the damn shirt. So I went to Modell's because I knew I would find it there eventually. I was going to fall right over it. Anyway, very, very frustrating. Uh, I'm very intrigued by the, the conversation of all panelists about what happens 
in the front, I always think of contingent workforce as people who are on the selling floor, and, and you've made me aware that it can certainly be equally, if not more important, to who's moving the merchandise in the back and doing the back end. So, good. Now, I have a question for my three panelists, starting off back with Brian Kilcourse at RSR Research. Brian, yes, in the spirit Brian. of the holiday, what are you drinking today? What's in your cup? Today I'm drinking smart water, which is vapor-distilled water with electrolytes for taste. How do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> Did they hire you to do the voiceover for that one? That's all you get today. <laughs> okay. Does it have a brand? Does it have a name? You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to – it's made by the Coca-Cola company, I'm sure. Um, I'm looking around on this bottle. It's clear, and it's so early in the morning that I can't see a thing. So um, um, I'm going to have to beg off on that one. <laughs> well, we just hope the electrolytes are working very well. Thank you very much. <laughs> Mukesh, <laughs> Mukesh Nakra, what are you drinking today? Oh, I, I just love my coffee, just plain coffee with a hint of sugar. But, you know, I have an interesting story to tell here. Uh, a few yes. years ago, uh, that changed. Um, I was on vacation in Europe, and uh, I was at a small coffee shop, at, at a local coffee shop, and and the 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 way they were describing coffee, I, I just told the barista, you know, surprise me. Tell me what you what you got to give me. She gave me plain coffee, French-pressed coffee with cinnamon sugar. And, and, you know, while she gave that to me, she said, you know, cinnamon has healing powers in moderate quantities. And and it was unbelievably flavorful. You know, ever since that that is my morning cup of Joe, uh, plain coffee with cinnamon sugar, and and life has been much made much easier to get that plain cup of coffee with with the Keurig machines, right? No more French yes. press, no nothing. It is just so easy now. That's wonderful. We've never had anybody mention cinnamon sugar for coffee. I've, I've talked to over a thousand people on all of our SAP Game Changers radio shows. This is the first. Mukesh, you have just made history. Thank you. I'm going to try it, and I do have a Keurig and a lot of interest in coffee here. Thank you, and I love sugar, but we won't say anything about that. David Swanson, what are you drinking today, or what do you wish you were drinking? Well, Bonnie, as we've talked before, in my other life, I actually own three retail coffee shops, so the whole retail That's topic right. is quite relevant for me, and I wish I were drinking a cup of uh, fresh uh, brewed coffee, but unfortunately, I'm drinking uh, black tea from the vending machine here in the Ooh. office, so not quite the <laughs> ideal substitute. Well, let's just talk about what you wish you were drinking. What would be the favorite cup of coffee you would be drinking if you were back in that life or somewhere else right now, David? Well, like Mukesh, I like coffee just pretty much straight up. I think if you have good coffee, you don't need to add a lot of things to it. And for me, probably some of the best coffee comes from Papua New Guinea. It has a nice, fruity taste to it. And if it's roasted correctly, it can be the best cup of coffee you've ever had. How very, very nice. And I have a note here from David Fowler, who is the sponsor of this Future of Business with Game Changer series, David at SAP Services. And David says in his cup is Starbucks Eggnog Latte. That sounds really rich, Dave. Dave, why don't you tweet or put in your link notes here for me, uh, other than eggnog, what does it taste like? My goodness, sounds very, very rich. I'm salivating here. Guess what? My panel has certainly earned a break. We're going to go out for about 90 seconds, no more than that. And when we come back, Brian Kilcourse is going to lead us off into our roundtable. Panelists, I want you to put your holiday-decorated seatbelt on because we're going to go 
30 minutes nonstop into our roundtable. We'll kick it off with Brian, some interesting notes from him before the show. I am Bonnie D. Graham, happy to be here. We are live. This is episode number seven in season two, for those of you keeping track, on the future of business with Game Changers Radio, presented by SAP Services. We're going to go out for a minute. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial, whatever. Brad, out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Welcome, welcome, welcome. The Future of Business with Game Changers is back, and I have a, a note here on Twitter and on a chat screen from David Fowler, who sponsors this series. I want to tell my panelists an interesting comment from Dave. He says that this Starbucks eggnog latte he's drinking today Starbucks dropped it last year. It's been Dave's traditional holiday drink. And guess what? There was such a consumer backlash, the Starbucks brought it back last minute based on thousands of people like David Fowler who put up a social fuss. So there is social media helping to shape the future of what kind of drinks we're going to be able to get at the holidays. Thank you for sharing that, Dave. Appreciate that. So we're going to kick off our roundtable right now with Brian Kilcoris at RSR Research. And Brian, you sent me some very interesting comments in your notes. Here's the one I'd like to start with. You say, after a generation of dumbing down the job of the sales associate in the store, Retailers today are struggling with how to reorient a part-time minimum wage and usually untrained employee base more toward customer service. A lot of meat on the bones there. Why don't you break it down for us, Brian? Well, thanks, Bonnie. You think about um, think about your shopping experience before you had a mobile phone in your hands. Uh, most of us went to a store. We did our investigations in the store. We selected our own product. We walked that product to the checkout stand. Uh, sometimes we even bagged it ourselves and then took it out to the took it out to the car, and that was our shopping experience. Um, and retailers have basically have pushed the consumer toward greater and greater self-service for years, as long as I've been in retail, and probably a lot longer than that. 
Um, but the consumers have kind of revolted against that. Nowadays, what they're doing is they're doing their investigations on a, on a tablet or a PC device. While they're sitting at home, they might be at work checking inventory availability so that they can rush to the nearest store uh, during their lunch break, pick up the product, um, and they expect the, they expect the store employees to be able to to answer questions that they have about the product, about the price, about the availability, mm-hmm. and uh, and and frankly, uh, store employees haven't been trained to do that. They've been trained to do something very routine. Routine is is the secret of keeping the um, labor ratios as low as they have been. Um, now, retailers are looking at this from the perspective of what is it going to cost me to, to have a more personalized service, a more enjoyable, more socially engaging service for the customer in my store because they are demanding it, because they expect a better social experience, or at least as an informed of an experience as they have while they're sitting on their couch watching Downton Abbey and doing it mm-hmm. during the commercials. It's a tough problem for retailers because they basically have squeezed all the blood out of the rock. Now what are they going to do? <laughs> Interesting. I, I have a question for you, Brian, before we invite Mukesh to comment. I'm thinking of my recent in the past year or so experience yeah. in some big box retail stores where the sales staff, the associates we call them, could give a CRAP about what you need and what you want. And they're sitting, they're talking, they're chatting, they're on their cell phones, they're huddled in corners. They don't want to talk to you. They don't want to help you find something. And you just wander and wander. It's pure serendipity if you ever find what you want. The cash register girl is really pleasant when she takes your money, but other than that, there's no help. I'm wondering if people who come in as a contingent workforce in the holidays don't have an opportunity to really shine because maybe they are excited to be there. Maybe they do feel the buzz of the holiday season. Maybe they're going to outshine the people who are there all the time who really don't care because it is a minimum wage job. What Any thoughts on that? I mean, there's an opportunity here. What do you think? Well, it's certainly possible. Uh, you know, first of all, let's, let's think about the the, uh, the the workforce that we're talking about. They might be millennials, right? And millennials are, mm-hmm. are in the workforce now. One of the first things that retailers need to do to make this interesting is they not is is don't insult their intelligence. These these young people are used to using technology every day in their lives the same way we use the remote control for the television. So don't insult their their intelligence by making them to uh, making them use um, information and technology that that was old a generation ago. That's number one. Make it fun. Uh, consumers have said, in spite of the fact that all of this technology is available, still well over ninety percent of retail sales in the United States happen in the store. So consumers are telling us something important. They're telling us that they like to go to a store. This will not hold up if retailers don't make that more enjoyable. And of course. Uh, with each passing year, uh, the technology side of it, the digital side of the selling process is now getting more and more enjoyable, rich, and engaging. Um, so retailers need to respond to this. Um, and one of the things they can do is they can get people who are uh, digital natives um, the tools they need uh, so that they can respond to consumers' requests right there on the sales floor. Thank you very much. And Mukesh Nakra from Infosys, what are your thoughts on what Brian just shared with us? No, and I completely agree with with Brian that that the the shift is happening, right? The human interaction in the store, uh, when when I go, is expected. Uh, you know, the the sales associated expected to amplify my my interaction, amplify my need for buying, address a address a problem. Not not you know, it's it's no more about the product. It's about buying. You know, that buying experience. 
what the what the company should do see today the company measures the the productivity of a seasonal worker you know in terms of number of boxes they have packed number of things or activities they have done per person per day per hour they should shift those metrics into you know have they got customer delight those are tough to measure what has been their conversion ratio were they able to upsell cross sell additional services than what you came to buy that that shift in decoupling the productivity the way the metrics are measured for for outcomes of uh, part time workers needs that shift which which is what will make these retailers successful their brands be carried forward by every person who's on the floor thank you mukesh david swanson join us thoughts yeah, I think two things. One, I think we also have to look at broadening the scope of who we actually bring in for contingent workers. I think oftentimes mm-hmm. it is the millennials who join us. But in fact, there's a, a labor pool out there that is relatively untapped, either differently able people or people maybe in a different generation who understand the experience of, of having a positive retail engagement and are able to provide that with customers and maybe be a little more focused in that space. The second piece I would say is that you know if you invest in people and if you're a small retailer and really understand what you differentiate on, if it's price, that's going to be a tough one against the big box retailers. But if it's service, then how do you really instill that in the people and you know, both your long-term employees but also the people who are joining you for the short term because many of those or some of those could become your long-term employees going forward. Yeah, so there could be an investment there. Thank you very much. Brian, let me circle back to you since we started this thread with you. Any thoughts on what Mukesh shared and or David? Well, um, David's right about the, the, the other shadow workforce that's out there. As a matter of fact, I'm thinking about this on a personal level because we're in our mid-60s and we're looking uh, mm. um, uh, somewhat affectionately, I have to say, at, at the fact that uh, uh, retailers such as um, um, – uh, container store will use older folks, and they just want a meaningful job. They want to, they want to enjoy mm-hmm. themselves and not sit around at home <laughs> watching dialing for dollars. Um, so, <laughs> Is that um, still on? <laughs> <laughs> you really um, dated yourself there, kid. <laughs> um, but even though uh, uh, you know, my my kids call me a digital vacationer, um, um, they the, they still want to be able to serve people. People like to help other people. And that's one of the wonderful things about retail. And mm-hmm. for those front-end sales associates, they want to be helpful. They don't want to disappoint consumers. Consumers are less loyal. They have less time. They have less money, and they're therefore much more demanding than they used to be. And so these front-end employees have to be have to be tooled properly. We haven't mentioned the back office or the or the backroom employees. And mm-hmm. if retailers want to maintain those extremely low labor ratios, they're going to have to find a way to hyper automate what those people do, essentially so that they can shake the money out of that process and then redistribute it toward the front of the store where it's likely to cost them more than it used to. Um, and, and so that's, the, that's a really big challenge for retailers. Interesting. I'm thinking of a couple of different shades of who makes up this part-time workforce, uh, to, um, addressing this to the whole panel. When I was talking about my experience in the M apostrophe S box store, not being able to find a sports shirt, I think those part-time workers I was talking to were definitely boomers, Brian. They definitely mm-hmm. were. Uh, they were They were little past boomers into the senior years. Very helpful, very pleasant, very accommodating, but they didn't have a clue where anything was <laughs> because the store just had brought in so much merchandise. The, the racks were just come impinging on each other. You could barely walk. So I could hardly blame them. It was nice to chat with them, but I still didn't find what I wanted. The other thought is that what about, and I'll ask this to the whole panel before we bring Mukesh in with a new uh, conversation thread here, uh, what about the mom's 
the dads, let's say the stay-at-home part-time workforce who say, yeah, they're rubbing their hands together. You pick up a little extra cash over the holidays. I hear so-and-so is hiring. It's just a four-week job. I'll only be gone. I'll take the early shift. I'll be home when the, the kids get home from school. I don't know. We should all be so lucky. But anyway, that's a different type of workforce where they might love shopping. They might love retail. And they get the culture. They get what it means because they like to spend money too. And they just want to do it for a couple weeks and have something to do and be around people. Brian, thoughts on that part of this contingent workforce? Well, there's no question that I I think about uh, working moms. And the reason I think about this is because I have two working moms for daughters and, and, and they want to be able to use their expertise. They want to talk to adults. They want to make a little bit of (laughs) mad money. They want to do all these things so they can have a nicer Christmas for their kids. But I will say that, uh, at least in their experience, and this is my sample of two, um, employers are so rigid and unyielding about the needs of young moms that it's almost criminal. And I, I just think it's terrible. For example, you get uh, written up if, you're, if you punch in one minute late. Come on, people. You've got to do better Yeah, than I that. know. I know. I know. <laughs> no comment. No personal comment there. Uh, Mukesh, tell you what, would you like to comment on what we're talking about right now, uh, just briefly, and then David, and then we'll go to a new direction with you, Mukesh. Mukesh, thoughts on the, the different aspects of the part-time workforce we just introduced. Thoughts? No, <clears throat> yes. See, I, I have a teenager who, who does this, and uh, he loves to do this in the summer at a, a specific game store only because he gets an employee discount. There and, you go. And, you know, so, so there, are, there are different motivational factors uh, that, that I have seen um, in, in different populations, just as Brian said about moms. I, I see teenagers, I see his friend who, uh, so a friend of his works at the AMC, and, and you know, they, they go there for a movie every week. So there are, the motivation factor is very different. <clears throat> but when these people start, again, I, I go back to the point that when they start looking at these as careers, it's a very mm-hmm. different perspective than those immediate short-term gains that they are looking at. David Swanson, thoughts? So when we interview baristas, and a lot of them that are in the 18 to 24 age group, what we really look for are those people who have a desire for serving customers versus just availability. I mean, we do have shifts to cover, but the more important criteria for us is this somebody that's going to fit in with the culture of what we're trying to establish in the three storefronts that we have and I think that's an more important. I think retailers get caught up in just making sure they have a body to cover a shift, and that's where I think you get in trouble and you get people who are not motivated and potentially driving away your best customers. Okay, thank you very much. Let's go in a slightly different direction. I have a very provocative note and quote here from Mukesh Nakra at Emphasis. Uh, Mukesh, I'm going to read some of your notes here, and then let's let's get started with this. You say, you asked the question, should organizations and employees look at a job as a date or a marriage. And then Mukesh goes on to, to say, dating is when two people meet socially for companionship, okay, and a marriage is a socially or ritually recognized union or legal contract. The largest controllable expense for a retail company is employee cost. And in order to manage this, they like to hire a seasonal workforce to manage spikes in demands. So let's, let's talk, let's dissect the idea of a job as a date or a marriage. I like that. Mukesh, why don't you start us, please? Yeah. So, so see, this, this is a question which, you know, one, one of my, uh, my executives in, in a customer location said. So this, this gentleman, um, he is a C-level employee uh, at one of the large uh, Fortune 50 retailers. And he said that, you know, he started his career in a retail store as a bagger. Mm-hmm. And he says, in 40 years today, I am sitting here managing this, this $30 million company. 
right and wow. that's that's what if you if he said i had looked at it as a short term relationship just to date a job or just to fill a gap that i am doing i would have never looked at this as a career the company gave me the opportunities now now this is where there are there are retailers who should look at doing things very differently and not only box themselves up in what they do so i'll give you an example there is there is a very large retailer based in the west coast uh which you know what they have done is they've hired 500 associates these are full time associates they've hired <clears throat> given them the flexibility to work the hours they want during the summer when the retailer does not have a demand you know they they've asked them to uh, do another you know, city of san francisco lot of tourists you know you you can rent cycles you can go on on the boats the, these these associates of the company work as tourist guides and and you know while they carry the brand they carry the franchise of the organization <clears throat> during the winter when when tourism is down they come back and work at this retail store phenomenal business model in my mind where where the companies ensuring that people are building careers they are building brand ambassadors for themselves and retaining the expertise and knowledge right so the the time that they are investing in teaching them what to sell how to sell how to upsell every every season is that that knowledge is retained and the and and the the employees perspective it is yeah there is continuous employment that is exactly what i'm looking for thank you mukesh david swanson thoughts on this well, I think that's an amazing model. I'd like to learn more about that. That sounds very innovative. I think for uh, for many organizations, particularly smaller organizations where you might have multiple sites, which I'm sure some of the people on the call do, it's really critical that you have one person who has some of that organizational and cultural awareness so they can help uh, course correct maybe some of the newer employees. I think what unfortunately happens is you get an entire shift of people who might be contingent workers. and that's where you start to really lose the thread on the type of culture you're trying to create and the experience you're trying to create for your customers. So one of the things that that we do and I know a number of companies do is you just make sure that either the shift lead or somebody in the store has that kind of understanding of what it is we're really trying to do. What's our differentiator? Is it service? You know, is it price? Is it something else? But really help uh, maintain that level of consistency across the entire shopping experience for your customers. Thank you. Brian Kilcourse, want to add your voice here? What do you think? Well, you know, it's uh, this discussion reminds me of a book that was published back in the '60s. It was called The Mythical Man Month, and it was uh, by Frederick Brooks, and it was a story of the development of IBM's OS 360. One of the one of the chapters that really hit me, and I've carried it through my career, is this notion of the surgical team. Uh, that there's only one surgeon that that gets to the point of somebody who's informed in the culture and and the and the objective. the mission of the team and that person is surrounded by support staff to help them to to achieve that mission and we might be talking about something like that here where there's there is a team leader or the or the surgeon if you will who's in charge of mm-hmm. making sure that whatever the task is happens in the best way possible and is surrounded by people that person is surrounded by others who who perform very specific tasks in support of that objective it might be the might might be the way of the future Might be future might be here. We're talking, by the way, our show today is the future of business with game changers. So that's why we're here. Mukesh, any thoughts on what your co-panelists added to your talking point there? No, I, I think we are all in in alignment as to what has to happen. Uh, I think the the challenge is uh, what should companies do different, and and how do they do differently, right? So the example I gave, 
they have to look at business models where what they do is not, you know, how, how do they coexist with another business where the seasonal demand does not always mean a holiday season, right? So, so different mm-hmm. businesses have different seasonal needs. So I, I work with a jewelry jewelry store, right? For them, seasonal demands are the, are, are Valentine's Day, then they are Mother's Day. You know, you you work with florist companies, they have different seasonal demands. You work with the home improvement store, uh, the the spring season is is their Christmas season. So, how do these companies who have who have variability in these seasons, you know, combine forces to get a common workforce? That way, there is there is constant employment. And mm-hmm. there is that brand building that there is no conflict of interest. So, so we need to think out of the box. So, you know, it is not just about what technology has given us and, and what we do as a business, but how can we combine forces to meet the needs of the consumer? Thank you, Mukesh. I'm, I'm going to ask one question of you and then the whole panel before we turn to some interesting points that David Swanson sent me before the show. My question is consultants. Are they considered a contingent workforce if you bring in a consultant? I was in, in tech years ago. I was a programmer analyst and uh, what we called being on the beach. Anybody remember that when you lost a job or oh, your yeah. time was up and you, oh, <laughs> on the beach. Well, when do you want to come off the beach? And I tried to, to do some work for uh, some kind of a consulting firm in New York and they said, well, we think we can get you into this company on a three-month gig, then maybe we can get you something here. I, I think I found a full-time job before I had to go that route, but it was fascinating. So are consultants considered a part of this contingent intermittent workforce, and or do they have special status because they understand their role? Their role is to come in, limited time in most cases, bring their expertise, bring their energy, work solely for the benefit of the company they were hired to do that, and then go bye-bye and go back on the beach and wait for the next job, the next gig. So, uh, Mukesh, you want to address that? I don't think we've talked about the consultant yet. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so, so I actually agree to the, to the extent that, yes, consultants should not be counted in this workforce because... The, okay. the value of the consultant is that, you know, when I go to a company is because I bring them the best practices of what 20 other companies or my experiences combined together bring to the table, right? And and if I am treated as, as that part-time worker, I you know, and, and I only look at doing one job and, and the same job and amplifying myself there, I will not be able to bring the, that value to that next person and to the next person. So... It is important that consultants do a job, do a job well, meet that need, go on the beach, and then go to the next gig all over again. Thank you. David, agree, disagree? Consultants, where do they belong? Contingent or just a a different type of full-time but hireable workforce that has nothing to do with seasons but reasons? In my experience and the way we deal with it is that anybody that's in the entire spectrum from a part-time worker up through senior consultants are all part of a contingent workforce. We actually call them C users, contingent users, and that's how they get their access. So for us, it's the whole universe fits under contingent workers. Interesting. Brian, which side of the fence are you on, my friend? Boy, that's a tough one. I'm not actually sure. I was a CIO for a lot of years, and, and I, I used uh, used both of the companies that these gentlemen represent. Um, but I always use them with that surgical model in mind that I mentioned earlier. Um, but one of the things that always characterized these folks is that they were, of course, they were trained to the eyeballs uh, in, in, in doing the specific tasks that I needed them to get done. But the other one was kind of an emotional detachment. 
Um, and at least as, as far as we're talking about as, uh, sales associates, emotional detachment is not a good thing. Um, mm-hmm. you, you want you want the the employee, whether it's a contingent employee or a permanent employee, to buy into the brand so that it can be properly conveyed um, to the consumer because that's what the consumer is demanding. So I you know, I think we're in a gray area here. I'm not sure consultants, as I define them anyway, fit into that model. Thank you very much. I like to start a controversy. I'm, I'm good at that sometimes. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Guess what? We're going to move to some talking points from David Swanson. David, uh, something interesting here. We may have touched on this, but I'd like to go a little deeper. You say in your notes, when you look to hire contingent workers, and we're let's focus on retail here because it's the season, think about whom your customers will relate to and think differently about whom you select. And then going back to my comment about the boomers, the older worker, while not as tech savvy, well, some of us are, may just be who your best customer can best relate to. So think about not just a warm body or a cold body, but the one your customers want to talk to. I think that's, that has that emotional, social component that I'd like to go a little deeper into that. David? Yeah, I think it's, uh, I think as most everyone knows, for the first time, we now have five generations in the workforce. That's never happened before. And mm-hmm. I think we look at that as, as something unique. But the reality is that, you know, for, for many retailers on this call, they have five generations that buy and, uh, and provide or, or consume services from them as well. And I think, to, I think it was Brian's point earlier, it, it, to create and maintain that competitive advantage, you have to be offering something different than the digital experience online. And that's something different in my experience, both you know, in large companies as well as, as small um, family-run retail establishments, is that personal contact. Uh, you know, if I think about, again, you know, in the coffee shop, some of the best baristas we have are people that are in the older generations because they can relate well to a segment of our customer base. In fact, not just the, you know, a, a similar peer group, but they actually relate quite well to people in all different generations because they have a little bit broader life experience and probably a little more patience and a little more understanding for people that might be coming in that are frustrated, that just had a bad experience, maybe they got run off the road before they came into the coffee <laughs> shop. One of the things we always tell our barista is that, look, you may be the only person that this individual interacts with all day. They may go off and work somewhere in an office by themselves. And so that you know, 30-second, two-minute exchange can make the difference between them having an average to bad day to a great day. And how you can connect with that person by learning their name and I find that particularly you know, workers in the older generations are really good at establishing those relationships. Uh, people in the younger generations are amazing at multitasking and taking five orders and getting every one of them right. Uh, so it's a balance. Mm-hmm. You have to look for what are the strengths and, and what are the, the opportunities for development and figure out what's the client group you're trying to serve or the customer group you're trying to serve and how do you best serve them with someone they're going to feel comfortable with. Thank you. I want to just interject something here before we get Brian and Mukesh to comment on that. I, I have a neighbor who used to own her own something or other dress barn way back. Very high fashion woman, New York, born and bred. Loves the fashion world. Used to date a lot of movie stars and Hollywood people and, and just loved what she did. And in, in recent years, well, she's now in her 80s, but in, I'd say her late 60s, early 70s, she's well-to-do, doesn't need to work. She just loves to go to local stores and say, hey, let me be part of your holiday shop. 
shopping experience. I want to be a, a floor associate. I want to work because she just loved it so much. But she had the ownership perspective. She was older. She was friendly, chatty. She adored fashion. And she loved talking to people. So maybe we didn't even cover that as an extra part of that. Who would your customers like to talk to? Maybe this person who knows the industry but comes back not as an owner or a consultant, but comes back as a part-time worker. But I digress. Brian Kilcourse, thoughts on this thread? Yeah. Well, both you and, uh, and David caused me to think about one of the more unsatisfying experiences I had at my local coffee shop. And like most Northern Californians, I'm ab- Californians are absolutely addicted to good coffee. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, I went to one store, and I was looking at a varietal that was being sold as a special, and I said, what can you tell me about this coffee? And the young lady said, I don't like coffee. I don't drink that stuff. <laughs> and I thought, that is a person that should not be on the front line. Um, um, but uh, it, as it relates to this, you know, we're kind of dancing around the issue of, of how do you get contingent workforce that's going to be engaged in, in, yes. and want to be with consumers. And you can take it either two ways. You, and, for example, when you're talking about um, um, gaming, gaming type of uh, uh, retailers, uh, where you're, uh, finding a kid who likes to play uh, digital games, that's a, that's a big plus. If you're in a coffee shop, uh, mm-hmm. having somebody who likes coffee on the front line is a big plus. You can either find somebody who loves the category um, or somebody who just loves talking to people because that's what people want. They want to engage. Shopping is fundamentally a social activity. That's why we do it. Um, if If it was all about just replenishing whatever you need, you could do that very easily online. So why do stores? Perfectly said. Perfectly said. I once said to a a hairdresser, I I have a local TV show for many years, and I invited a local hair shop owner to come on. And I said to him, do you know what you're in the business of? He said, yeah, I cut hair, I style hair. I said, no, you don't. You give people a chance to talk. You give people a chance to maybe share some intimate details of their life that they might not have anybody else to tell to. And you give people self-esteem. They look in the mirror, they come in bedraggled or squashed and squished, and they go out saying, yeah, I don't look so bad after all. You're giving, he said, I do. I said, yeah, you're not in the business of cutting hair at all. It's a completely, he had, hadn't taken that perspective. Mukesh, I want to get your thoughts on this before we go to break. What do you think about no, and, what we've and, been and discussing? I, and I agree. So that is why we call it retail therapy, right? That, that That's whenever, right. Whenever you are down, you go, you talk to a few people, you buy, you spend some money and you feel happy about it. So, so it, it is all in alignment with that retail therapy notion that we live with. I like retail therapy. Did it the other night a little bit. You go to a discount store, you can get a lot of mileage out of a little bit and have a lot of therapy. Let me tell you. Guess what, guys? I think we're going to take a break a little bit early because I want to want you to focus on what our predictions are going to be. Uh, we're in prediction season now. Yesterday on Coffee Break with Game Changers, our flagship show, I had 13 guests come on and they had three minute machine gun style, three minute prediction segments and 13 people shared amazing predictions in the space of a 57-minute show. So you think you have, you're have you squeezed on time? Imagine what they were like under the gun. But we had a lot of interesting stuff. So I'm looking for a broad brush of predictions, not just on the contingent workforce, but where do you see, for example, retail going in terms of what should retailers think about next year for making the customer experience better? Because it's only going to get more and more that we are in the omni-channel shopping age. Right, Brian Kilcourse? It's just going to continue? You agree? Absolutely. 
Yeah, so I want some good. Let's let's turn our predictions rather than just bing, bing, bing. I would like to turn them into a little more of a discussion. So we're going to take a little bit of extra time. And if I don't stop talking, we're going to run out of that extra time. I'm Bonnie D. Graham having a really good holiday-style conversation with Brian Kilcourse at RSR Research, Mukesh Nakra at Infosys. And by the way, Mukesh, shout out to your compadres and your colleagues at Infosys. They're uh, becoming regulars here on our shows, and we appreciate your presence. And David Swanson at SAP. We're going to be right back. We're talking today about tis the season for retailers. I can hear those bells ringing. Managing a contingent workforce. Big topic. We'll be right back. Don't even think of touching that dial. Brad out. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. The pace of innovation is moving faster than ever, and the future of business will be defined by how quickly business leaders adapt to accelerated ongoing change. Factors as diverse as business simplification, insights from growing volumes of data, the new global pool of talent, resource scarcity, business networks and supply chains, and the ever-present need for speed are shaping the definition of future success. Join our experts as they analyze and discuss how business leaders can shape the future of change. The Future of Business with Game Changers is presented by SAP Services. Visit www.sap.com. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You're listening to The Future of Business with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to The Future of Business with Game Changers. Future of Business with Game Changers and the future is here because we're now in our crystal ball predictions round. We have a great conversation going with Brian Kilcourse at RSR Research, Mukesh Nakra at Infosys, and David Swanson at SAP. And, of course, I'm still Bonnie D. Graham and happy to be. Uh, and a, a shout-out to Brad, our engineer, who is so flexible and so wonderful to us. We can come and go in and out of breaks as we please. Brad is always there for us. So let's turn to our predictions round here. We're going to start off with Brian Kilcourse. Brian, uh, let's Let's see, we have, um, we have nine minutes left. Why don't you take a good, robust two minutes? Tell us what do you think should happen, predict at least in the, let's just do 2015. Let's just do the next year in terms of contingent workforce. What should hiring managers look for in terms of part-timers that they may not be aware of right now? So why don't you predict the next year out? That's all I want to do today. Go ahead, Brian. Well, the next year out is is a is a real transition year for a bunch of reasons. I think retailers have come to realize that they need to um, to engage the consumers in new ways in the store. So, um, going going back to my first comment about uh, thinking about the, the 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 store workforce in two components, um, there's going to have to be a, a two things that that happen. The first is that the retailers need to move toward hyper optimization of those non selling functions and provide the right information technology to make that possible. And then, of course, from a hiring perspective, it's finding the people who want to do that, who are interested in that kind of work and uh, happy with that kind of engagement. 
And then on the other side, it's all about upping the quality of the, of the personal experience. Uh, retail in general is moving toward more and more personalized experience experiences for the consumers that begin in the digital space, but it ends in the physical space. So um, uh, retailers have to look for people um, who, who, who want to engage uh, socially, conversationally, uh, want to satisfy um, um, uh, consumers' needs, which are heightened because of the availability of the information that they have in their in their hands. So, uh, it's a different type of a workforce. And the in the next in the next year, the reason I think is pivotal is retailers are going to have to figure out how to do this optimally without uh, increasing the labor costs. Because, as we all know, the unspoken truth here is that the that the margins for retailers are brutally narrow. And there's not a lot of room for error. A percentage difference in the labor spend and the controllable cost uh, that we were talking about earlier, that can have a material difference on the profitability of the company. And, of course, Wall Street is quite unforgiving in that regard. So retailers are going to be forced into this issue. They, it would be nice to think that they were thinking about it proactively, but I think what's really happening is they're being forced to think about it. Thank you very much, Brian Kilcourse. Appreciate that. Mukesh Nakra, take a, well, we've got time. Take a full two, two and a half minutes. Tell us your predictions. What's going to happen in the next year or so, Mukesh? Yeah, so, so see, within, within the short term, like uh, Brian said, retailers will need to stop hiring uh, temporary workers just to fill a gap. They will not go to these, these uh, temp workforce exchanges where they are hiring people from today. Uh, they will try to build business models around uh, hiring people for short durations but keeping them, uh, uh, giving them a long-term employment opportunity. Uh, when it comes to the distribution centers, they, that will be fully automated, right? You, they will be completely automated with, with all the uh, robots and everything that, that are needed to run that. From a workforce uh, training learning perspective, while... Uh, a lot of investment of retailers has gone in doing big data analytics and, and getting intelligent about their consumer. That knowledge today resides only largely with the marketing teams where, you know, what kind of an advertisement do I need to do to pull a consumer? That, that knowledge and expertise now has to go into the hands of the front-end sales force so that when you walk into the store, it's not about those loyalty cards anymore, but when you walk into the store, they exactly know who you are, all the intelligence that they have captured around you so that they can cater what they need to sell to you because they, they know you. So it is, it is no longer a corporate function. That, that need of analytics from corporate has to come down to the workforce at the front end. And I believe in, in 2019, uh, I'm, I'm going a little far out if we were doing That's this show fine. again. Yes. Uh, we, we, the same group in, in 2019, would be discussing... Uh, what are the synergies companies can bring together? And, and this is not one company alone, but what does more than one company do together to manage this workforce where they shift people between various departments, between various organizations, and, and give them careers rather than just hire to meet a need? Thank you very much. I like that you went a little more long-term. That's perfect. And we can give a full two minutes for predictions to David Swanson. No hurry, David. Plenty of time. Go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie. I think the, uh, there's a real-time example that I'll share quickly. We have a customer, Burberry, that I'm sure most people have heard of. And I mm -hmm. think the, the organizations that will be successful a year from now, two, three years from now, are those that figure out how to blend the digital world with the, the, the in-person world. And if you walk into Burberry's flagship store in New York, 
There's digital facial recognition where the uh, systems in Burberry recognize who you are if you're a prior customer. And by the time you have your first interaction with an associate on the floor who has a tablet in their hand, that associate already knows who you are, what you've purchased. And as you look at the, the walls, which in fact are mirrors, there are images that begin to show with your face, your body on different types of clothes to show you what you would look like in some of the new product lines that are coming out. Now, that's a pretty sophisticated process that only typically big companies have been able to accomplish in the past, but with technology getting to the way it is, that's technology that can be available to almost any retail establishment in the fairly short term. And it's that ability to not waste your customer's time trying to understand who they are and what they've purchased, but be able to take the conversation forward and talk about what they could be purchasing based off of prior purchases in the past and giving your associates that kind of intelligence in the moment can make a very powerful and uh, a very lasting impression on the part of your customers. Uh, it's one of those things you have to be a little careful of because some people find it a little creepy that they walk in the store and the associate recognizes them. But uh, if used appropriately, it can be a really powerful differentiator and something that I think even small retailers will have access to in the coming years. That's That sounds wonderful if you're in the right frame of mind, David. I don't know how I'd feel about walking in and listen, if they put my face on a size zero mannequin wearing something amazing, I might not be really happy right now. Five years ago, I would have been thrilled. Right now, I'd say, really? You want me to squeeze this into that? I hope they would do it with somebody knowledgeable about what looks good on certain people, but I digress. We have time for one quick bonus question here. We have three minutes left and I only need one to close the show and thank you all for your great predictions my question is uh, first Brian then and Mukesh and then David when you go into a retail store this holiday season I'm getting personal here guys when you go into a retail store who would be the ideal person to sell to you you tell me what retail experience uh, what type of store and what type of salesperson in the contingent workforce you would be most happy to speak with about that potential purchase so let's do a little up close and personal digital holiday shopping here on the radio Brian Kilcourse you're up give me about a 30 second answer <laughs> well the, no the, pressure the, <laughs> no pressure I think probably the person who most clo- closely represents uh, or shows interest in what it is that I'm uh, buying so for example I just went to North Nordstrom's. Don't tell my wife this, to buy her something that she wanted, and uh, it was at the perfume counter, so of course I talked to a very attractive young woman. Um, Go to a music store, I look for a guitar player every time. Interesting. Okay, we won't tell your wife. It's a secret. (laughs) Nobody will know. I won't tell you how many countries this show is heard in. I won't (laughs) tell you how many people by the time this one year rolls around. I won't tell you how many thousands of people would have heard you, but I hope she enjoys her perfume. But we won't tell her. Mukesh, shopping experience for you. Quickly, I give you 30 seconds. What's your ideal person? Shopping experience for me is is something that when when I go in, uh, they try to solve a problem. It is not about okay. I need a uh, you know I need a pair of shoes. So what what are you trying to do? Try to solve the the human issue, and then be able to recommend something to to me and build that rapport when you know do that shopping experience. So it is no more buying of products. It is about buying that shopping experience for which I go into a store now. Thank you. David Swanson, I can give you 20 seconds. What store, what type of associate? Fast. I think any store. And If I walk in, I want to be able to see somebody that looks me in the eyes and gives me a smile and engages on a person-to-person level. I don't want to have to go find somebody and ask them a question. 
I love it. Thank you very much. Time for me to do some shout-outs here. We're at the end of our broadcast week. And next week, let's see, when we come back, we will have the Internet of Things with Game Changers next Wednesday at 3. I'll be back with Coffee Break Predictions 2015 Predictions Part 2 with another 14 predictors at uh, 11 o'clock next Wednesday morning. Then in the afternoon, 3 p.m., the Internet of Things. And next Thursday, in this spot, we'll be talking to the Innovating Innovation with Game Changers team for another one of their great topics. Thank you so much, Brian Kilcourse at RSR Research, Mukesh Nakra at Infosys and all of your colleagues. Shout out to them and David Swanson at SAP. Wonderful panel. I truly enjoyed speaking with you. And of course, a thank you to David Fowler who sponsors the series. Lindsay Nelson, thanks for putting together a wonderful panel, SAP Services and Malcolm Kimberlin. And thank you to Brad and the Business Channel team. Time for us to say goodbye. So here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt. I hope it's a designer seatbelt. Why not? What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Bonnie D. Graham signing off for another live edition of The Future of Business with Game Changers presented by SAP Services. Talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to The Future of Business with Game Changers presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. And please join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.